Welcome to the Predictable Designs Podcast, where it's all about creating and selling successful new electronic hardware products. Here's your host, engineer and entrepreneur, John Till. Welcome to the Predictable Designs Podcast, where we discuss all things related to developing, manufacturing, marketing, and selling successful new electronic hardware products. I'm your host, John Teal. In today's podcast, we're going to be looking at six different product development strategies. Which strategy is going to be best for you is going to depend on what skills that you already have, how much money you have to spend, how complex is your product, and how fast you need to get it to market. So today's podcast episode is actually coming from a course inside the Hardware Academy that's a roadmap course that walks you through every step from idea to manufacturing. So this is just one small part of that course where I discuss different product development strategies. So that's what I'm sharing with you today, and I hope you enjoy it. So the first option kind of is the the simplest to start with, at least to explain, and that's to design the entire product yourself. For most engineers and most products, this is not really feasible to do entirely on your own with and you being the only person that does everything. There's just a huge amount of technical, variety of technical skills required to fully develop a, a product. And if this was a, a larger tech company, they, they would never assign just one engineer to develop a product like this. They would they would assign a team of various specializations to develop the product. So developing a hardware product is going to require that you have a a really solid understanding of electronics design. And that's not just using Arduino or development kits, but actually designing the custom printed circuit board. You're also going to have to know how to, to program with both the firmware, so the code that runs on your device itself, and then also any, if you have a mobile application that you want programmed, you're going to have to, to know how to do that well. And those are, even though they're both programming, they're, they're drastically different types of programming. So you may be good at one, but not necessarily the other. You're also going to need to know how to do mechanical or industrial design. So at the very least, your product is going to have a, a plastic enclosure that you're going to have to design, create a 3D model for it, and get that ready for mass production injection molding tech, using injection molding technology. So, and then you have all the, the manufacturing technical challenges themselves. Like I just mentioned, getting injection molding set up and getting manufacturing set up in general is, is a sort of a specialized field of engineering. A lot of engineers will have experience with development, but not necessarily manufacturing. So to have experience with electronics design, programming firmware, programming mobile apps, doing the industrial design and doing the, designing the product for manufacturing, that, that's a lot to take on for, for one engineer. And this becomes even truer the more complex the product. So this could be a viable option if, if, you're, if you're an engineer and you have a variety, wide variety of skills or if you're really adaptable and can learn these skills and you have a product that isn't overly complex. This is pretty much the route that I had taken for my own product was to design it myself. The and this required the main area where I was lacking knowledge was in the industrial mechanical design. So I ended up teaching myself how to do the mechanical design, create the 3D model, design it for manufacturing 
so that that was a, that was a real good strategy for for my product, which was really a very simple product compared to a lot of the, the products that I that I see members developing. So this can be typically you have to combine this development strategy with other ones. So you may be able to do one part of this, but not necessarily all of it. Or you may be able to do a little bit of each, but then you want to, you know, bring on an, an expert or specialist in those areas to to help you or to check your work. The next development strategy that we're going to look at is for you to design only the early prototype yourself. So the, the goal of this strategy is for you to develop the product just far enough that you can have a, a prototype that's of sufficient quality to get outside investors interested in your product. And what this allows you to do is it allows you to, to get bring your product to market without you having to do all of the development yourself or to fund all of the development yourself. Instead, you can just focus on the initial parts of the development. And then once you get it far enough along, then you can use that to to seek outside funding. And then with that funding, you could hire professional engineers to 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 go through and clean up the design and get it production ready. Or you may not even have to have funding. You could also take the, the pr- prototype development as far as you can and then bring in you know, professionals to, to clean it up and, and get it ready to be a, a final prototype that you can then use uh, to get funding. But the point is, is that the key of this strategy is that you're, you're not doing the entire development process yourself. You're only doing as, as much as you can or much as necessary to be able to get the funding to take it to the next steps. So this is a good strategy if, you're, if you're, you have technical skills or you're comfortable learning them, but yet you're not what you would consider a professional or expert product developer. So this would allow you to use your current skills and save the money, you know, what you would normally have to outsource the even the early prototype. So you do that yourself and then you just use that to then get the, the funding that's necessary to take it to the next steps. So this, I find, tends to be a, a good strategy if you have moderate technical skills. And regardless whether or not you develop the, the just an early prototype or a late stage prototype, Generally, most founders are going to have to eventually seek outside funding. So the, the further you can get the product on your own before you have to seek that funding, the more, the more likely you're going to be able to, to get that funding that you need. The next development strategy that we're going to look at is to find a technical co-founder. So if you lack the, if you're completely non-technical, then this, I, I highly encourage you to, to take this as your, at least your main strategy. Most of these strategies can be combined with the other strategies. But if you, if you have no technical skills and you're trying to get a hardware product developed, that, that's going to be really, really challenging. And you, you may run into, you're going to probably end up wasting some money because you're not going to have the skills to judge the quality of the work. You don't necessarily know if you're being scammed by the person doing the work or if they're producing a really poor quality design that's if you don't have those technical skills that's really difficult to judge the quality so it's it's very challenging to try to manage other people doing a job or a task that you don't have enough skills to even judge the quality of their work 
So this is when I highly recommend that you look into bringing on a technical co-founder. So a co-founder would be someone that is equal partners with you. Most most cases you need to you need to do an equal split of the equity. Otherwise, it can just cause various complications in your relationship with the co-founder. So it's it's best to find someone that's just as excited and just as vested in the product as you are, and then make them an equal co-founder along with yourself. And not only can this help you bring in someone with the the skills that you're missing. It can also help you bring in money to your company because now instead of you paying for everything up front, now you're, you're splitting that with your co-founder. So the, the big challenge with this strategy is finding those co-founders. It's, it's difficult to find a, a co-founder and it's a really critical relationship that, you, that you're trying to build with them. So you need to be extremely, extremely selective in who you choose to bring on as a co-founder because you're going to be tied to them for years. You, got, you guys are going to be working so closely together. There's going to be a lot of stress you're going to have to deal with. So it's, it's really critical that you, you take the time to find a co-founder that's a good fit for your product. And by that means they have to have, well, first of all, they need to have complementary skills to yours. They also need to have some income that they can help pay for things in addition to you paying for everything. But they also need to be really, really excited about the product. You don't want to bring on a co-founder that's you know, just not excited, as excited as you are. It's, it creates just a lot of challenging dynamics between the two of you if one founder is much more motivated and excited than the other because the one that's the most motivated and the most excited tends to do the most work, and then that just creates challenges in the relationship. The other big downside with bringing on a technical co-founder is it reduces your equity in your company. However, it's, it's it's much better to have a small piece of a big pie than to have all the pieces of a really, really tiny pie or zero pie. And that may be the case if you don't bring on a co-founder, if you just try to do this, you're on your own and you never get it to market, well, now you have 100%, you own 100% of nothing versus if you bring on a co-founder, you may end up finding yourself owning 50% of a you know multi-million dollar company eventually. So there's always trade-offs with all of these different strategies, but I highly recommend this strategy if you are completely non-technical. It's really going to be essential for you to bring on a technical co-founder. And if you happen to be highly technical, then you know you, a co-founder can still be a good fit for their expertises in marketing or sales or something. I'm not going to get into that in this lesson, but the, the point is the same, is to bring on a co-founder that has complementary skills to your own. The next development strategy that we're looking at is hiring freelance engineers through potentially a, a website like upwork.com or you know, guru.com, or just referral-based. But a freelance engineer is, is typically just a, a solo engineer that works on his own. And you, you're going to pay them typically an hourly rate, but also in some cases you may be able to strike a deal where you pay them on a per-milestone basis. But like all of these strategies, there are some challenges with hiring, a, a free, hiring freelance engineers. First of all, as I had mentioned in the first strategy, is few engineers have all of the skills required to develop a product to bring to market. 
So this likely means you're also not going to be able to find a, a single freelance engineer that can do everything for you. So this ends up meaning that you will most likely have to hire or, you know, hire multiple engineers with various specialties. And then what happens in that case is now you're managing a, a team of engineers and you have to make sure all the pieces fit together. So the, the hardware has to work with the firmware and the firmware has to work with the mobile app and the printed circuit board has to fit in the enclosure. So you may be working with three to four or five engineers. And if you don't have the technical expertise, it's really challenging to manage all of those engineers because you're going to be the one that has to solve any problems that, you know, between that are caused by like the interaction between the two engineering specialties. For instance, if you're uh, all of a sudden your printed circuit board is you find is too big to fit in your enclosure, well, then you may run into a case where the electrical engineer is blaming it on the mechanical engineer. Well, I made the board the right size. He made the enclosure too small. And then the mechanical engineer may say just the opposite and blame the electrical engineer or especially with hardware and software. It gets really challenging to manage a whole bunch of different freelancers especially if they're spread out around the globe, it becomes very, very challenging to, to manage all of that. So that's the, the biggest complication with freelance engineers. The, the biggest advantage is if you don't have the technical skills, this tends to be the cheapest and the easiest option is to hire a freelance engineer to do that work for you. But it's, it's not typically something... I would recommend if you're completely non-technical because you're going to have to have some technical skills to manage these. You, you do have the option of you could hire just a, a general consultant to help you manage the various engineers. So you hire a bunch of contract engineers, then you have one consultant who helps you manage those engineers. So that, that can be one option, but it, it's still opening up for the possibility of a, a whole lot of issues. So hiring the freelance engineer route is typically only a feasible option if you have at least some project management background or you, you feel comfortable managing a, a team of engineers. You don't have to necessarily know how to do everything that they're doing, but you need to have the skills to be able to judge what they're doing and to solve any problems when the different pieces have to have to come together. You're the person that will be responsible for the final product. So you have to have all these different parts come together and work together to, to create the final product. And you're going to be the one responsible for that. So that's the, the big challenge with freelance engineers. The, the big positive with freelance engineers, like it's, it's the, one of the cheapest ways to develop a product if you don't have any the skills to do it yourself. So the fifth option we're going to look at for developing your product is to hire a full design firm. So a design firm, unlike freelancers, where you, you're hiring individual people, and most likely multiple individual people, and then you have to manage and make sure everything comes together. With a firm, all of the engineers already work together, typically in the same building, but not, not always. They may be remote teams, but the point is, is all the engineers already work together and the firm itself will manage the entire project and manage all of those engineers. So you don't have to be responsible for making sure that the hardware works with the firmware, works with the mobile app. The firm itself will take care of that as part of the project management. 
So this is can be if if you lack the the skills to manage a team of engineers, then a design firm can be one of the, you, you, probably your your safest option for getting your product developed. But the the big downside with the development firm is it's the most expensive route to develop a new product as well, especially if you try to hire like a large uh, U.S. or North American based development firm. Typically, you, you may be looking at very minimum of $100,000 to develop your product. So that's typically not you know, viable for most startups. But there are smaller firms that's potentially made up. They, a lot of them could be just various freelancers that ended up working together. And now they, they work together and have a, a small firm. So they don't have the, the overhead of a large firm with dozens and dozens of engineers and big office building. But it's just a few freelance engineers with various specialties that have come together and work together. So if you can find that, that can be a, a really good option that's kind of in between. It's not going to be quite as hands-off for you as a full design firm would be, but it, it's it's kind of a nice mix between doing going the freelance route or hiring the, the full design firm. So in addition to the cost, the other major problem with hiring a full design firm to develop your product is you're kind of removing yourself from the product development phase to some extent. If, if, you, if you're wanting to build a hardware company, it's, it's going to be really challenging to build that company if you're not the one that's developing the products that you're, that you're planning to sell. So you may be able to do that on the first product, but eventually you're going to want to have to manage and oversee and do the development yourself. I mean, a big part of a hardware startup is the product development. So if you're outsourcing all of that, then you, you have to begin to question, well, what is it that, that you do? Are you just a, a marketing arm? So what is, what is your purpose? So that's something you need to consider when, when you go to pick out a, or pick a development strategy. And specifically, if you choose to hire a full design firm, is are you outsourcing too much? Are you giving away the, the core part of your business? That's going to that's gonna raise problems down the road, especially if you try to seek outside funding. They're gonna, that's gonna, a lot of investors are going to be really skeptical that you're wanting to outsource everything about development. So keep that in mind. It, it's typically not a good strategy to think that you just you create a spec and then you give it to a firm and say, okay, you go develop this and just let me know in six months when it's ready. You, If you're going to go the, the design firm route, then you need to be heavily involved communicating with them, understanding the, the design decisions and the design trade-offs that they're making because they don't know, understand your market. They're just engineers. They're going to pick most of, make most of their decisions based on engineering criteria and not marketing criteria or business criteria. So just keep that in mind if you do decide to go the route of hiring a full design firm. The final development strategy that we're going to look at is to partner with a manufacturer. So you, you can one option is you if you can find a manu, an existing manufacturer that is already producing products that are similar to yours, then instead of you redoing you know, everything that they've already developed, plus incorporating your new features, a lot of times it can make a lot more sense if you strike a partnership with them so you can 
take one of their products and either you modify it or more likely they would have their development team to modify one of their existing designs to meet the criteria that you need for your product. So this can be a, a, a really good strategy, especially if you, you know, have a more complicated product, but yet something that's only incrementally different than other products that are already out there. So, or if, especially if the product is, is really complex, you, you may be able to partner with a manufacturer to only, only they, they take care of one, reusing one of their products for part of it. Let's say you have a, a remote control car. Well, the, the, and you have, I don't know, let's say it, it's got Wi-Fi and some special electronics that, that, that may differentiate it from other remote control cars. Well, there's not a whole lot of point for, from in most cases for you to develop the entire car, car itself, the plastic and the wheels and the axles and all the different plastic pieces, because that's really complicated and really expensive. But what you may be able to do is to strike a deal with the, the car manufacturers so that you use the body of one of their cars, but then they incorporate your custom electronics into it. So this can be a, a good strategy that requires you to that allows you to not have to start from scratch, that you can just build off of what someone else has already developed. And for this, I would recommend that you go to alibaba.com and just search for your product and or you know, products similar to yours and then just reach out to them. Uh, one thing you'll find is that most Chinese manufacturers are, are very uh, flexible in regards to working with you or customizing one of their products for your particular application. Of course, you have to approach them as a, a serious business. This you know, will take some time commitment on them. So don't just reach out to them as Joe Schmo with a Yahoo email address. You need to present yourself as a business, which is almost always the case to re- when reaching out to anyone to help you or for any service. I recommend that you you reach that you reach out to them as a business and not just a person. You'll you'll get a much higher response rate and companies will be much more willing to work with you. The you know downside to this strategy is finding the the right manufacturer can be challenging, and you also have to question who will own the intellectual property. If, if they do the development work, then they may want to own the intellectual property, so that can create complications. They may want a, so, a total exclusive manufacturing agreement, and it could be that they require that you produce, uh, manufacture the product only with them for a certain number of years, and that could lock you in. If, if they end up performing badly, then you're locked in with this manufacturer and you don't have any way to get out of it. So those are the, the trade-offs that you, that you have to consider when partnering with a manufacturer. But if your product is just an incremental uh, improvement to an existing product or a big portion of yours is based on an existing product, then I, this is a strategy that I highly recommend that you pursue. So those are the six strategies for developing your product. And it, it's not always going to be one, only one of these six strategies. A lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll have to mix and match different parts. Like with the partner with the manufacturer, you may do that for, like I said, for the remote control car enclosure. You partner with the manufacturer, but then you hire a freelancers or a development firm to design the electronics. So a lot of times you're going to do 
at mix and match, or if you have design skills of your own, let's say you're a really good programmer, then you know it may be three of these. You may partner with the manufacturer for the enclosure, uh, outsource the electronics to a firm or a freelancer, and then do the uh, programming yourself. So there are various ways that you can mix and match these. And it really depends on the, the skill set of you and your team, uh, how much money you have, and the complexity of your product. That's it for today. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Predictable Designs podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, then definitely check out the hardwareacademy.com where you can get support from myself and other experts to help you successfully get your product developed and on the market. We have experts in electronics design, enclosure design, prototyping, certifications, manufacturing, marketing, startups, and sales. You even get private one-on-one consulting directly with me. The Hardware Academy also includes a highly active and incredibly helpful community of other hardware entrepreneurs with a wide range of experience and skills. No longer do you have to go at it all alone. Now you have a community of experts on your team. You'll also get regular in-depth training courses, workshops, product teardowns, and resources to help you succeed with your product. Finally, you get access to my list of recommended developers, suppliers, and manufacturers. Check out the Hardware Academy today at thehardwareacademy.com.